Hey, this is John at Bible Project, and today on the podcast, I get to talk with Dr. Timeki and Dr. Carissa Quinn about the eighth poem in the book of Psalms. Psalm 8 has become a very important chapter for me as I've realized more and more how the entire story of the Bible is about God's relentless pursuit of humanity to partner with us even though we are weak and quite frankly, pretty stupid most of the time. And so the question is, why would the God of the universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth, want to partner with us? At the most basic, it's a poem reflecting on God as the creator. So this poet has internalized Genesis 1 and is offering us a meditation not just about God's relationship to the world, but God's relationship to humans and what humans are all about. Psalm 8 was also an important poem for Jesus and the apostles. Jesus expressed an interest in this poem, and actually so did Paul and the anonymous author of the letter to the Hebrews. This is actually a frequently quoted poem in the New Testament. Now in the beginning of the poem is a riddle. What's one of the weakest things you can imagine? Well, perhaps it's an infant crying in his helplessness. From the mouth of nursing babies and little infants, you have founded a stronghold because of your enemies to stop the enemy and the avenger. What? How can the weak be a fortress against the strong? That's all ahead in today's episode. Thanks for joining us. Here we go. Okay, we've been making a new type of video as Bible Project. We are calling Visual Commentary. And this conversation is on the next Visual Commentary that's going to drop. Yeah. And it's on Psalm 8. And here to talk about Psalm 8 is Tim and Carissa. Hey, how are y'all? Hey, <laughs> good. Hey there. Happy day. Happy day. So we're here to talk about Psalm 8. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim, you're going to lead us through it. So let's jump in. Yeah, so Psalm 8. It is my translation that we're going to use in the video, and uh, it has some little tweaks that might be different Mm. from common English translations, but we'll walk our way through it. This is an awesome poem. And do you want to explain just Mm. super quick why you tweak it? Oh, mainly because sometimes there's nuances in the Hebrew text or the Greek text that our English translations can't fully capture no matter what translation it is, even if it's a really good one. And so sometimes having multiple alternate translations can highlight little details that are there for the reader. So there'll be a few of those. Yeah, I noticed with yours, you can always see the repeated words. You'll always translate the repeated words the same Yes. so that you can notice them. Yeah, it's an interesting feature that biblical authors love to use repetition to get their main points across. And modern English translations tend to reduce repetition by using a variety of English words. Mm, because repetition sounds a little lazy. <laughs> yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. To or, us. Yeah, stylistically, it can sound awkward mm. in contemporary English, but it's actually a communication design technique mm. yeah. of the Bible. And so, yep, that's right. Do you want to read it, Krista? Sure. Oh, Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the land. You've set your splendor above the skies. From the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you've established a stronghold because of your adversaries to stop the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your skies, the works of your fingers, moon and stars, which you established, what is human that you remember him and the son of humanity that you attend to him? Though you've made him little lesser than Elohim, 
yet with glory and majesty you've crowned him. You made him a ruler over the works of your hands, all things you've set under his feet. Sheep and oxen, all of them, and also beasts of the field, birds of the skies, and fish of the sea, what crosses the paths of the seas. O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the land. Mic drop. Yeah, if there was an ancient (laughs) version of microphones, (laughs) the poet would drop it right there. David is connected to this poem Mm. at the heading of it. Oh, it is? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not not in your translation. Yeah, we didn't read that. Yes, sorry. (laughs) <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it, but you're right. I didn't include that. Sorry. Does it say of David? Uh, this is Le David. Le a David. Psalm, a psalm of David. Yeah. Literally what it's, it begins with, a phrase that nobody mm-hmm. quite knows what it means. Lam natseach, usually mm-hmm. translated in, for the choir director. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Which is just, just a shot in the dark. Perhaps just mm-hmm. for the leader. Okay. Or for the end, right? Yes. Yeah. Ancient Jewish scholars before the time of Jesus who translated... This, the Hebrew Bible into Greek translated that phrase with the Greek phrase, for the end, for the telos. <laughs> That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Then the next phrase is al hagatit, which is some kind of instrument or tune. Mm-hmm. Then it's a song in relationship to David mm-hmm. in some way, okay. yeah, which we'll talk about. All right. So Psalm 8, it's a rad poem. You can kind yeah. of tell it's about creation themes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And which is what we're riffing on yeah. for the next few visual commentary videos. We did Genesis Correct. 1, mm-hmm. obviously creation theme. Mm-hmm. Psalm 8 here as well. Yeah. yeah, Psalm 8. Yeah, and even in the very first line, it mentions the land and the skies. Yes. So you automatically have this picture of all of creation. Yeah, Genesis yeah. 1 1. Yeah. Yeah. God created the land and the skies. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So if God created the land and the skies, it makes sense within that worldview that the land and the skies are this majestic demonstration of the name, of the reputation Hmm. of Yahweh. Just like uh, a painting is a testimony, right, to the brilliance or creativity of an artist. That's That's the view here. So it's as if the skies and the land are a physical manifestation of Yahweh's royal power and splendor. That's the opening and closing. Notice um, the opening line. And the final line of the poem are identical. Yeah. So majestic, because that's not a word I really use. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of turned into a Bible word for me. Mm. Majesty. Majesty. Mm-hmm. What about your majesty? Oh, referring People to someone that. of high. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I never have ever said that to someone, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, never. I've heard it said. It's <laughs> right. In movies. Yeah. Maybe basically. in a movie. <laughs> but to be majestic, to be kingly. Then? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, it's the Hebrew word adir, and its hmm. most basic meaning is powerful. Hmm. It can be used of uh, storm waves in the Psalms. Hmm. I, I did a little, a little in the notes. There's a list of nouns that get this adjective, nice. adir. And sometimes it's a person in an authority, hmm. a king or a leader, but just as often it's something that's powerful or huge. So the cedars of Lebanon can be called adir. Yeah, that makes sense. So something that's so big, powerful, and impressive. I might have called a tree majestic once in my life. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. could see that. Yep. Good to see the like the red the Or mountains. Yeah. Or maybe majestic. that's a biblical. So majestic. Yeah. <laughs> okay, maybe. <laughs> no, I get it. No. It kind of okay, sounds okay. like you're speaking King James. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so maybe that's like... where I'm Now, what about the matching? That... So that's the opening line is, uh, Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the land. Mm-hmm. You have set your splendor. Splendor. Is that a word? 
I don't use it. I don't use it either, but it feels a little more common to me. Mm. Splendor. Splendor. Yeah, you might use splendid, it. Splendid, because of splendid. Splendid? Oh, splendid. I don't know. Do you use that? My grandma might. <laughs> splendid. <laughs> you might, like, sarcastically oh, yeah. say yeah. something like, in all of its splendor, <laughs> but not, but sarcastically. Yeah. Like, hmm. like if you made, we all three have little kids, yeah. and you do art with your kids. Yeah. You know, and to you, the parent, it looks amazing. Yeah. But to anyone else looking at it, it's it's kind of pitiful. But, you know, that's the kind of thing. And their works and, and all of their splendor. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Splendor. Uh, this is another word. But it's more specifically connected to authority and mm. someone or something in a place of authority. And that looks so impressive. Mm. It, it's splendor. Oh, but, yeah. So it comes from, from the French. Mm. Um, splendid? It means radiance. Or yeah. Or mm. brilliance. Mm. Is, that, is that the idea in mm. Hebrew? Radiance or brilliance? Oh, this kind of shininess, this like ah. brightness. Not majestic, Adir. That's not That's what I mean. Oh, no, that. Not majestic, but, but splendor. Yeah, mm-hmm. but splendor, yeah, it's the Hebrew word hod. Okay. Yeah, which is often connected with a physical display of brightness, brilliance, okay. or, so, or gold something even. that impresses you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So these are kingly royal. words. Yeah, royal it's royal words. Yeah, it's vocabulary of royalty and authority. So it's not yeah. just how great you are, how great is your name. It's Yahweh's yeah. the king over all of this. Yep, that's right. Yes, which is going to be interesting because the body of the poem is about how Yahweh made somebody else king mm. over creation. But we'll get there. At the most basic, it's a poem reflecting on God as the creator. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we've read a lot of Genesis 1 stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. About the skies and the land, humans, mm-hmm. humans being made really important. Before we dive into that, we'll talk, let's just kind of get an overview. Humans mm-hmm. are really important. The sun, the moon, the stars. The sun, the moon, the stars. And they the rule sheep. over the, an- humans rule over the animals. There's yeah. a list of animals that comes yeah. right out of Genesis 1. Yeah. Genesis 1 is on the brain. Yeah. Yeah. So this poet has internalized Genesis 1 and is offering us a meditation, not just about God's relationship to the world, but... God's relationship to humans and what humans are all about. Let's note something else. Uh, And this is if you're taking the whole Bible, Old and New Testaments into context. Jesus expressed an interest in this poem. And actually so did Paul and the anonymous author of the letter to the Hebrews. Hmm. This is actually a a frequently quoted poem in the New Testament. And I just want to flag this because the way Jesus and Paul... It's become a meme for them, (laughs) if you you will. (laughs) Totally, Totally. How Jesus understands this poem and what he gets out of it, and also Paul, uh, it creates what for me was a a puzzle for a Mm. while, Mm -hmm. because it was one of those moments where you go back, you can read in your own Bible, their Bible, and you walk away going, how did they get that? Yeah. And is your assumption with that, that the way Jesus and Paul and the apostles are interpreting this is how we should be able to interpret it too? Yeah. Or, Or maybe the first, my first, I want my default response to be they certainly understand it better than I do. Mm. So if I don't see what they're seeing, 
my assumption should be I'm the one in the dark, Mm -hmm. which opens up a whole opportunity to discover cool stuff. Yeah. So let's just real quick. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, the triumphal entry, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's a famous scene, our iconic yeah, scene. Yeah. Palm Sunday. Right. Yeah. So he's he's on the donkey. The people are lying down cloths, garments in front of mm-hmm. him, palm branches. And what the people are shouting is uh, also from the Psalms. They're quoting from Psalm 118, uh, saying, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of Yahweh, Hoshana in the highest. Mm. Hoshana, which means um, rescue us. Save. In, please. Save, please. In Hebrew? Yeah, yeah na That's, is please, and then hosha is rescue. So they're, they're using Hebrew, like a transliteration of Hebrew. Oh, yes. It's an, yes. The Although tra- they're speaking in The translators Aramaic? have chosen not to translate hoshana, but just spell it with English letters. Is that what they would have probably hmm. said out loud? Is it, Arama- is it a, an Aramaic Whoa. word then? Oh, let's see. Is it a uh, Aramaic pronunciation? Oh, wait, from... Yeah, that's a good that's a good hmm. question. But well, in Psalm 118, it would be in Hebrew, but then ah. in Matthew, it would be ah, in Greek. Correct. Yes. In other words, Matthew. Yeah, that's right. So Matthew has chosen not to translate it, but to spell the Hebrew word yeah. with Greek letters. Mm-hmm. And so our English translations take their cue and they don't translate mm-hmm. it. They spell the Greek word in English letters, even though it's. Save it. Save us, please. Yeah. Kind of like hallelujah. We just exactly. leave it, the That's untranslated right. Hebrew word. That's yeah. Right. Yep. So cool. save us. And all the crowds, you know, are, are yelling. We're told that Jesus goes in Jerusalem, the city's astir, and the people are saying, who is this? And the mm-hmm. crowds are saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. But when the priests and the Bible scholars saw, as the scribes, uh, they saw all the things that he was doing and the children who were shouting in the temple saying, Hoshana, son of David, mm-hmm. they got angry. And they said to Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said, yes. Have you ever read the Bible? I always like that one. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking to Bible scholars. <laughs> Have you ever read the Bible? You know, there's that place where it says, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Psalm 8, verse 3. So, so he's, hmm. qu- he's quoting Psalm 8. He's quoting kind Psalm of. 8. Yep. So somehow he sees himself and what he's doing as somehow uh, worthy of the same type of praise or connected to the praise mm-hmm. that comes out of these babies' mouths. Mm-hmm. And this highlights the role of the babies in Psalm 8. There's babies in Psalm 8. There is. Right. There's babies in Psalm 8. Yep. From the mouth of infants and babies. <laughs> yes. You have established, and Jesus says, praise. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's totally. Psalm 8. So we'll, yeah, we'll get to that. Says something else. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Jesus quotes from a different version of Psalm 8 than the one we have in the Hebrew Bible. I think this is the most confusing verse of the psalm. It is. So I would like to know yeah. what Jesus meant. Totally. <laughs> and yeah, what yeah. the psalm means. So we're just going to flag it. We're flag yeah. it. Jesus thinks these babbling babies of Psalm 8 are mm. actually important, and they're a way to understand who he is and the crew around him and what they represent in the story of Israel. So the, the scribes are, are saying, hey, this is ridiculous, Jesus. You got these kids running around mm-hmm. thinking that you're going to save them. Yeah. Like, this is silly. Yeah. And then Jesus quotes from Psalm 8 and, and says, don't you know in Psalm 8, this is what the psalmist, psalmist actually said, it's from the mouth of babies yeah. that, that God's going to do something. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yep. 
So it's very appropriate for very these kids to be running around. Yep, doing totally. This. He is quoting this line and it has specific, you know, resonance in that moment because there's children around. But um, he's got the whole poem on the brain. Mm. Hmm. The whole poem comes to bear on what Jesus is there to do. In <laughs> he wasn't just like going through his mind, like, what's what part of the Bible is there about kids singing? Oh, there is one. <laughs> yeah, right, Yeah, no, And I'll yeah. pull it out and totally. proof text it. Exactly. Yeah. That's not what he's doing. No, no, he's, he's doing way more. Okay. So let's just flag that. Yeah. Real quick, let's just note two moments where the Apostle Paul also hmm. was attracted to Psalm 8. In, uh, once in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, once in Ephesians chapter 1, in both contexts, he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and how Jesus was installed as the king over all creation, especially over the enemies of creation. Hmm. So in 1 Corinthians 15, he's talking about how in the first human, in Adam, all died. So also in the Messiah, all will come alive. But each in his own order. The Messiah was like the first fruits. And then after the Messiah's resurrection from the dead come those who belong to the Messiah when he returns. Then will come the end, when the risen Jesus will hand over the kingdom to God and Father, when he has abolished all other rule and authorities and powers. Mm. For the risen Jesus must rule until he's put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished will be death, because, Psalm 8, he put all things under his feet. That's from Psalm 8. Yeah. yeah. What part of Psalm 8 is that? Yeah. Verse. Sounds like Psalm 2 to me. Hmm. I guess, or maybe his other quote. Or is he quoting from Psalm 2? That he, oh, sorry. Uh, he's put enemies from, under his feet? He's that quoting like from Psalm 110. Oh. So he's blending together the wording of Psalm 110 with the wording of Psalm 8. Oh. Psalm 110 is about a king from the line of David who will rule as a royal priest like Melchizedek did in Jerusalem so mm-hmm. long ago with okay. enemies under his feet. So Paul's interested in Psalm 8 because of this picture of a human ruling over all things, especially over the enemies, the threatening enemies mm-hmm. of God, Yeah, which here are cosmic enemies of death. The powers. The powers. Yes. And death. Yeah. Exactly. How'd you get there? Hmm. I thought this was about just humans and how God made them his partners to rule over animals. Psalm 8, you mean? Yeah, yeah Psalm 8. Yeah. So where, where's, how's Paul getting this like resurrection, hmm. installation of hmm. the Messiah and the new humanity and all the cosmic enemies of God are under his feet. Yeah, and that it's about one specific person. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the Messiah. Yeah. And then those who belong to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we slow down? You just said Psalmate is about making human partners to rule. Mm. We didn't really flesh that out. Mm. We kind of just read the psalm, took yeah. that for granted. That's right. But what you're saying there in, in the psalm, the bit where it's like, what is human that you remember him? Yeah. You have crowned him, crowned crowned him, made him ruler over the works of your hands. Mm. All things you have set under his feet. Yep. Okay. And so this is the majestic Maybe. king yeah. God who has appointed the humans yes. to rule on his behalf. To rule over the animals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And somehow Paul reads that poem and he starts talking about the resurrected Messiah who's been crowned with new creation life to rule over all of creation and vanquish God's cosmic enemies. Hmm. 
And, yeah. uh, you know, that's just that's not what I would have picked up yeah. from Psalm 8 yeah. on a first reading. Like, sheep and cattle don't sound like God's enemies Cosmic in Psalm enemies, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, so I think I've been having these conversations with you long enough to know how he's connecting the dots. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because what Psalm 8's talking about is the image of God. Yes. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about how humans are made to be in the image of God. We keep failing in that. One element of Jesus being Jesus is that he's human. Yes. And he represented the vocation of being human, mm. being mm-hmm. God's image, mm-hmm. in the way that was meant to be. Mm. Yeah. And so if our calling is to rule on God's behalf, have that majesty, majesty and be crowned with it, mm. that is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. So, yeah. so Paul's connecting those dots and he's bringing yes. Jesus into Psalm 8. Yeah. Even though when I read Psalm 8, I'm just thinking about me and the other humans around me. Yeah, that's right. But he's connecting it to Yeah, to that's Jesus. right. Mm-hmm. So maybe, so there's one other set, there's one other key story and biblical theme that's hyperlinked in here that helps Jesus and Paul make that connection between the first human humanity that failed, the ultimate humanity that God appointed to succeed, which is Israel's Messiah, the true image of God. And the key missing link there, how do you get from the first image of God Mm. in Genesis 1 to the ultimate image Mm. of God that's the risen Messiah? And the key link there Mm. is the story of David. Mm. The role that the story of King David plays in the Hebrew Bible is like Mm. the key link between those two. Mm. And, you know, I was just thinking about this the other day. David's story, in terms of stuff we've focused on in the Bible Project, David's story hasn't been a major Mm -mm. focus. Mm. It hasn't. And I'd really want to start turning my energies there because I just realized this the other day working on something. Other than Moses and Jesus, David's story takes up, he's the character who has the third most amount of pages dedicated Mm -hmm. to his story. And are you counting like the historical books Mm -hmm. and the Psalms also? Oh man, if you counted the Psalms that are connected to David, he would be on a par with Moses for sure. Yeah. Because whether or not David wrote these psalms, the superscriptions, they're those little titles, yeah, yeah, say of David. So they're supposed yeah. to be associated. Yeah. David's one of the most important mm-hmm. characters in the Hebrew Bible for understanding who the Messiah is and why Jesus said and did almost all the things he said and did. Hmm. David's super important. And so this psalm is a great example that I hope to make clear if I can communicate my thoughts. Cool. I'd love to go to David. But can we talk really quick about yeah. this under his feet thing? Yeah. There's a couple things that's striking me. Mm. One is when, when you read Psalm 8 and he says, so God's made humanity a ruler over the works of his hands. Yes. And all things God set under humanity's feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it talks about like the animals. Yes. But before the animals, when he's thinking about that, he's looking up at the sun, moon, and stars. Mm-hmm. And for them, that's the hosts of heaven, the creatures Mm -hmm. that are actually more majestic, more splendorous Mm -hmm. than us. I mean, they're actually shining. (laughs) Totally. And then the focus comes back to humanity and it's like, well, we're just like Mm -hmm. these dirt creatures. Mm -hmm. So if everything's under our feet, well, okay, everything on land is under our feet, Mm. but the powers above Mm -hmm. and death itself, Mm -hmm. like we're still subjugated to. So that's not under our feet. And then you get to Paul and Paul making this connection yeah. is saying now it is that with Christ, yep. now it is. Yeah. Death and the powers yeah. as well is under his feet. You know what's great is I try and put off like the goodies of our conversations <laughs> till, the very, oh, till the very end. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I love it. No, there's actually a detail right here in the psalm 
that hmm. connects the dots to say what you think it's not saying. Um, in verse four, the poet says, when I see your skies, the work of your fingers. Or is it is it verse three in the English or is it four? Yeah, oh, sorry. Three. I'm sorry. I'm looking at my yeah. Hebrew Bible yeah. here. Is it verse three? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sorry. Verse three. When I see your, your skies, the works of your fingers, and then they're outlined, moon, stars that you have established. Yeah. What are mm. the works of God's fingers? The heavenly hosts, mm -hmm. the heaven, heavenly beings yep. even. When you go down to verse 5, you made the human a little lesser than the Elohim. Spiritual beings up there. Which, which yeah. I think is most likely reference to those, mm -hmm. Moon, the works of your fingers that are up above, spiritual yeah. beings. Uh, you crowned the human with honor and majesty. You made human the ruler over the works of your hands. Mm. In context, it's um, the same phrase, the works mm. of God's fingers and God's mm. hands. Yeah. Now, it's going to go on to say the works of your hands, everything you put under his feet and then name the animals. But it's suggestive yeah. that the same phrase mm. describes the sky inhabitants and the land inhabitants. Yeah. And all of them are, you see where I'm going. Yeah. 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 It's going to start sounding a lot like Daniel 7. <laughs> the son of man exalted to rule over the beasts. But what are those beasts? The beasts are the nations, the power, the nations, but the nations that have been led and animated by the powers, and animated by, by the the powers, mm. <laughs> the beasts, the, be the beasts, yeah. So okay, this psalm's rad, man. <laughs> this, yeah. there's like a whole universe in this psalm. So what what I want to do <laughs> is pause on any more goodies and just uh, walk us through how Psalm eight fits into the Book of Psalms and the Psalms around it. And then how once you see that, it plugs into the Genesis mm -hmm. and the first Adam and the last Adam and all of the exciting stuff that Jesus and Paul see mm -hmm. here, I think, shines with more clarity. Yeah, so you're saying that's how they learned how to read the psalm that way is by knowing yes. the overarching story. Yeah, yeah. so John, you just made this connection. Oh, it's image of God, Genesis 1. That's what Psalm 8's about. And then Jesus is the ultimate image of God and so on. So that's true on the macro level. Yeah. But there's even a more specific way that that line of thought is all connected. And it's through the story of David as it's portrayed in the book of Psalms. So that's where I'm going to try and lead us next. Okay, so one step, super brief, but we could spend a long time here, mm. especially because, Carissa, this is your one of your areas of focus in biblical yeah, studies. I love this area. <laughs> uh, which is about the composition and the design of the whole book mm -hmm. of Psalms, mm -hmm. all 150. We have one video, a couple videos on the Psalms yeah. in our library. And more coming yep, on more, individual ones. Yep, more yep. coming, yeah. So um, the book's been organized through a set of repeating little editorial refrains into five main blocks, mm -hmm. sometimes called books. And Psalm 8 is found within the first, the first of those five. So first, let's just name that. There's five. Mm -hmm. 
five sections of the psalms. Five sections of the psalms. Called books. And it concludes with a five, five psalm conclusion. Yeah. 146 through 150 are all connected. And Krista, you're doing one of the next visual commentaries. Yeah. Do you think the five's connected to Torah number? I do. Okay. Yeah. 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 Especially because the very first psalm talks about meditating mm. oh, sure. on Torah. Yeah. And then there are five books of the Psalms. And mm. these books you can find even in your English Bibles. They're titled yeah. book one, book two, book three. Yep. That's right. Yep. So all kinds of things to explore there. We're just going to leave it for mm. later. Book one uh, is blocked off, begins with Psalms 1 and 2 that are joined, and then it comes to a conclusion at the end of Psalm 41, mm-hmm. which is the first of these editorial refrains. So in other words, at the end of four Psalms throughout the whole book, there's a little editorial refrain that doesn't seem to fit the original Psalm itself. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's added on, like a little, like on the back cover of the book or something. Mm-hmm. Like a chapter marker. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and some it's really obvious. It'll be like a really sad psalm mm-hmm. of lament. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, woe is me. And then the last line will be, praise the God of Israel yeah. forever and ever. Yeah. Amen. And you're like, well, that changed real quick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's how Psalm 89 feels. It's a shift yeah. in tone. Yeah. So um, you got a big block of psalms, Psalms 1 to 41. When you step into um, a big block of psalms, this is the whole field of biblical studies. Mm-hmm. But the main technique is actually pretty intuitive. It's through repetition of key words and ideas across psalms that if you read and reread them the way Psalm 1 tells you to, you'll start to notice little groups and connective subunits and so on. Mm -hmm. And so Book 1, which is Psalms 1 through 41, itself has, you know, the first two psalms as a conclusion and then four four subgroups, so four groups to Book 1. And um, I've gone back and forth. There's um, a French scholar. I think I'm saying his name right. Gianni Barbiero. Mm-hmm. And then Peter Ho yeah. are kind of the two lead scholars. And then Dr. Chris Aquin has also made an <laughs> academic contribution to the, these the shape two, of book one. Yeah, these two are looking at the whole of book one. Correct. Right? Yeah. The arrangement of all of Psalms uh, 1 through 41. Yeah. And so Psalm 8 occurs within <laughs> five books of Within the Psalms, mm-hmm. within the first book, there's five sections, an intro, mm-hmm. and then four groups. Psalm 8 is found dead center of the first group, which is Psalms 3 through 14. And that's, there's payoff yeah. for paying attention to why it's been placed in the in the center there. Yeah, and it's the center, other groups are like this too, it's the center not just because it's right in the middle, but because mm-hmm. there are... Psalms on each side that kind of mirror each other or are doing something similar. So you can tell that it's supposed to stand out as the center. So if the Book of Psalms was like a five-part movie series, Mm -hmm. we're in like the first movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this movie Mm -hmm. has like four main acts. Yeah. Has a little intro. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A little intro. That's good. Yep. To the whole play. To the whole, and that for the whole series. Yep. Yep. And then the first movie has four main acts. Yep. And we're in the first act of that movie. Correct. And we're actually right in the center of that first act. Yeah. Yeah. Psalm 8 is right in the center. Okay. So what I want to pay attention to is to the things that are on either side of Psalm 8 because Psalm 8 has been put in in between these two things on each side that match each other and that illuminate what's happening with Psalm 8 in the mm-hmm. middle. Okay. So this will be an exercise in reading a group of psalms. And this is going to be kind yeah. of a new way to even think about the psalms. Mm-hmm. Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. It's like you just these aren't just a b- collection of... 
poems yeah. Yeah. thrown together. Yep. The where it's placed is in this is That's really right. important. Yeah. Psalms three through fourteen are a subunit, a meaningful, intentionally crafted little subunit with Psalm eight as a part of the center of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just gonna say if you're reading through the Psalms and want to read this way, mm. what you what you can do is look for words that are repeated from one psalm to the next, or mm-hmm. even asking, how does this psalm develop the themes from oh. the last psalm? Or how does it continue the narrative yes. strand or yep. narrative thread forward? Yep. Yeah, so here's one very simple example. The introduction, Psalms 1 and 2, open and close with the same word. So think Psalm 8 opens and closes with the same line. Mm-hmm. Psalms 1 and 2 open and close with the same word. Psalm 1 begins with blessed is the one who doesn't hang out with the bad folks, <laughs> but um, their delight is in the Torah of Yahweh. That's the opening line. The final line of Psalm 2 is how blessed are those who take refuge in the messianic son of God that Psalm 2 is all about. Yeah. So a double blessing. Hmm. Yeah, so it's a poetic device that's sticking mm-hmm. those two psalms together as yep. the introduction. Yep, that's yeah. right. Oh, there's two two ways to, to find blessing as I read and ponder these texts. One is how they... Delight in the Torah. Yeah, delight in the mm-hmm. Torah, and it shapes a way of life mm-hmm. that keeps your it nose clean. It makes you a tree. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> turns you into a tree of life. And then Psalm 2, it teaches you to take refuge in someone, the messianic king from the line of David, mm-hmm. that God's going to send to bring justice, to confront the evil of the world. That's the basic point. But that little word, refuge taking refuge in the messianic king that's, mm. that's important yeah for psalm yeah. 8 and to watch as it gets repeated through all of the psalms that yes. come to mm. by the way bible word refuge. refuge refuge oh yes i'm like i think oh. my youth group was called refuge oh, by the way oh refuge <laughs> cool. i don't know do you use that in normal english uh you I don't know, know maybe it's because i like to hike a lot let's go create mm. a refuge in the woods and i've had multiple times like, it's a hiking a, term. Yeah, if there's a storm or yeah, a rainstorm I can coming. See that as a hiking it term. sounds intense. Like I could picture you yelling it, take refuge. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think it's say? a really cool word because yeah, if you look at it throughout the Psalms, it mm. is this mm. kingly mm. word where mm. the the king is saying, or usually God the king is saying, mm. I'm gonna shield you, protect you. Mm create a refuge for you. Mm. If you think about like a king protecting his people, mm. that's the the yeah. picture of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The world's a terrible place and it's dangerous. And so knowing mm. where you are safe, what places are safe mm. for you, where you can take cover, find yeah. rest and peace, that's the refuge. It's also an interesting yeah. word because it implies that there's outside chaos and enemies. Mm. Yeah, that's right. So taking refuge in a safe place means there are places outside that aren't that safe. That aren't safe. And in yeah. Psalm 2, what makes the world not safe is kings and yeah. emperors who rule the land with violence and arrogance. And uh, that makes for an unsafe world yeah. when you have arrogant rulers who don't acknowledge any power higher than themselves. Mm. So you leave the introduction to the Psalm Scrolls and you're thinking, okay, so God's going to raise up this king. Uh, who is it? Who would it be? Well, I read a book called Samuel and Kings <laughs> in the Hebrew Bible, and I sh- certainly know who it's not. Um, <laughs> yeah, right? I know it's not a guy named David. He was pretty rad. He did it for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a refuge for other people mm-hmm. for a while, but eventually he blew it big time. And he passed on the torch mm-hmm. to his kiddos. and yeah. I know it's actually not any of the kids from his line yeah. because they all blew it like all the humans. So it's an interesting puzzle that mm. the Hebrew Bible puts in front of you, this, this 
poem about a king from the line of David, but you already know that David isn't that one. Yeah. So here's, so here's what's interesting. You leave Psalm 2 and you walk into Psalms 3 through 7, and they're a beautifully arranged little composition, the, those five poems. They're arranged as a symmetry. In other words... Um, five through seven or th- three? three. You, you walk out three of the introduction. Yep, three through seven. Basically, okay. the poems that come before Psalm 8. Yeah. It's five poems. It's the first half yeah. of this first act yep. in this first movie. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's, it's three, it's five poems about David running from his enemies. Mm-hmm. Totally mm-hmm. freaked out, persecuted, oppressed. And pow- and <laughs> Opening yeah, scene, yeah. David's running from enemies. Yes. Right after yes. the introduction about the yes. king ruling all of his enemies. Mm. Yes. Yeah, okay, you get this like, yeah. movie starts, like, you can be a tree of life, a king is coming. Yes. And then <laughs> cut, David's running from enemies. Yeah, for yeah. David, the king. Yeah, <laughs> and, and not just his enemies, his own son, his own it son. says. So in Psalm, Psalm 3 opens saying, a song of David when he had to flee from his son Absalom. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it's a great moment where it's a hyperlink to Second Samuel, and you're just supposed to upload the whole story. Mm. You're just supposed to know it inside and out. <laughs> <laughs> That's Psalm 3. Uh, Psalm 7, which closes this little uh, subgroup, says, A lament of David, which he sang to Yahweh about the words of Cush the Benjaminite, which is a mm. deep rabbit hole of who Cush is and so on. One way or another, it's connected to either the story of Absalom, his son's rebellion, or to this time when David had to flee uh, from Saul and hide in caves Mm -hmm. in the wilderness. Either way, the first section of poems and the poems in between are all about these moments of weak, terrible weakness Mm -hmm. and helplessness in the life of King David. So he's got to ponder that. Now they're beautiful. He cries out to God, save me, you are my refuge, he'll say to God. But it's about the king taking refuge in Yahweh and asking God to rescue him. Hmm. Yeah. As opposed to the king providing rescue for other people, which is what's Yeah. Psalm so they're, they're individual laments or they're laments of one person. Yes. Because yep. there are a lot of different kinds of psalms. That's right. And they're telling a story or they're within the part of the story of the, the king fleeing yeah. from his enemies. Yeah. Yeah. And crying out to God, help me, help me, help me. Anne Lamott, she's a popular writer and just spirituality and so on. I forget which book it is. She has this wonderful chapter on prayer Mm. where she categorizes the prayers of her life, which are, Mm. um, help me, help me, help me. (laughs) Or thank you, thank you, thank you. Mm. (laughs) It's kind of like the Psalms. It's kind of like the Psalms. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Mm. Okay, so that's Psalms 3 to 7. Okay. Then you get to Psalm 8. Mm. Okay. Yep. Okay, we took it on board and ponder it again. Yeah, Yeah, but that one automatically sounds different. Yeah. In the first line. Super different. Yeah. It's mm. not about David fleeing from his enemies. Yeah. It's about babies. Becoming a fortress. Becoming a fortress yeah. before bad guys. Mm-hmm. And then... And, hum- then the, and then the upside down yeah. rule of humans. That's right. Okay. We leave Psalm 8 and we go to the next collection of um, five poems, which is Psalms 9 through 14. Now, this is a little more complex about their arrangement, so we won't get into details because if you don't have a whiteboard in four hours... <laughs> complicated. But all to say is not, Psalms 9 to 14 are also unified. Yeah. They're more poems about David. Mm-hmm. But also David starts talking about a group, like he has a crew yeah. that's along with him and that he cares a lot about. And he calls his crew by a whole bunch of names and titles. Mm-hmm. He calls them uh, the poor and the oppressed, the needy, the afflicted ones, the helpless, 
the orphans. I think that's it. Yeah, so there's this expansion from just David as the example afflicted king to all the afflicted people. Yes, yeah. So the group of Psalms after Psalm 8 are about David and a whole bunch of people who are oppressed and afflicted Mm -hmm. by the nations, by kings, by their enemies, by evildoers. And that's Psalms 9 through 14. Mm. So you just, yeah. have, just have to pause and just yeah. think. What's, we, got, we got a sandwich here. What's, we got a sandwich. One piece of bread is David running from his enemies. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The other piece of bread is David's crew being weak and powerless. outcast and powerless. Yeah. And afflicted. And, and then in the center. In the center. The PB&J. Yeah. Is. Is this babies. Baby babble. Stopping enemies. Yeah. Through their babble. It makes me wonder if Psalm 8 is the turning point or the hinge or something yeah. between those two. Yeah. Like yeah. what happens in Psalm 8 that suddenly David's story becomes the story for all the afflicted? I don't know if that's something mm. yeah. you're going to answer, but it's an interesting question. Yeah. Well, let's, yes, yeah, so let, let's ponder. When we think about uh, all of them, there's basically one big drama happening in this section of Psalms. There's people running for their lives. Yeah, yeah, there's David and the people associated with him. Feeling really weak and outcast. They're and... weak, they're powerless, they're outcast, and they're constantly being chased by enemies. So mm. here I've got a little table here on page seven. Here's all of the or mm. almost all of the names that the bad guys are called. Oh. The oppressors, <laughs> the enemies, the wicked, the nations or the peoples, and evildoers. And there are enemies in Psalm eight. Yeah. God's, yeah. God's fighting enemies right. in Psalm 8 also. So that fits in. David says, you know, rescue me from my enemies. That's right. The the, the baby Babel turns into a fortress yeah. that rescues them from the from, adversaries. From three yeah. three types of bad guys, from uh, the the oppressor, from the enemy, and from the, the avenger. Like, the uh, avenger. Repo man. <laughs> Captain America? <laughs> the avenger. <laughs> I thought they're heroes. <laughs> um, they're not heroes in Psalm 8. So, okay, so here's something that connects Psalm 8 to the surrounding poems. It's about God rescuing his people, yeah. the weak and the helpless, from their enemies. Actually, that's really helpful because that line, this verse 2, it's such a weird line, from the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you've established a stronghold Yes, because of your adversaries. So if you know in the story... Okay, this There's been a lot of adversaries. Yeah, there's been a lot of enemies. They're attacking David, the weak, afflicted king. Yep, you got it. Psalms 3 to 14 are a drama of God rescuing his chosen afflicted ones from their enemies and from mm-hmm. their oppressors. And they are the weak and helpless ones. What's unique about Psalm 8 is that the helpless ones aren't oppressed kings or poor people. They're little babies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is the, it's like the ultimate image of a dependent creature. Yeah. Yeah. A helpless dependent. Especially human babies. Yes. I mean. So long. There's a handful of species. Really? That have that long of a development period. But, you know, I watch a lot of documentaries. Animal documentaries with my yeah. kids. Yeah. And some creatures just yeah. come out ready to rock. They are just <laughs> running around. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Okay. So that's the bad guys. I also have a little chart here for all of the titles or metaphors for God's chosen people mm. in Psalms 3 to 14. And some of them are expected, you know, the righteous or the upright, but the afflicted, the poor, yeah. the innocent, the crushed, the helpless, the orphan, infants and babies. Yeah. This is all about people who are helpless yeah. to change their circumstances. And God's in the business of raising up and exalting people like that. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. So we've got 
We've got an interesting progression then. Psalms 1 and 2 told me about an exalted king. Psalms 3 through 7 then showed me David on the run, not exalted, powerless Mm. king. Psalm 8 lifted up an exalted human in Adam of Genesis 1 that somehow aligned or on analogy with babies, Mm. which we'll come back to. And then after Psalm 8, 9 to 14, we're back to David and a whole crew of helpless people Mm. crying Mm -hmm. out for God to deliver them. This is meditation literature. You're Mm. just supposed to, what's going on here? Mm. Why is this exalted king of Psalm 2 set on analogy with powerless king, set on analogy Mm. with babies and a puny human human race? Mm-hmm. Set on analogy with David again, but now with a whole bunch of helpless people associated with him. This is all meant to mix in a pot in your mind, yeah, <laughs> and see the and see the pieces come together. So it seems to me that there's the theme developing here that the exalted king or the exalted one, those whom God loves to exalt, are the helpless and the powerless mm-hmm. who take refuge in Him. Uh, for people who have come to the end of their own resources, like David, or like babies who hmm. don't really have any resources except their bodies, you know, to breathe and poop and sleep. So that's the territory that we're in here. God loves to exalt the lowly and take take down the high and the mighty. I feel like mm. that's a thing that Jesus liked to talk about now and then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it seems like in Psalm 8, it's more than helping or exalting the lowly. It's that they are also... yes. Yeah. doing something they're yeah. participating the mouth from the mouth of infants and babes you've established a stronghold yes and then the humans ruling yep because i think helping it's not just for them I it's get through that. them yes yeah. good uh-huh. okay mm. all right so let's just that, that was a very quickish tour through psalms yeah one to 14 but you kind of get the point mm-hmm. here also just trying to model what it looks like to read groups of psalms it's noticing these kinds of connections So let's come back to Psalm 8, and let's look at these two parts of it and think about it in light of the poems around it. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic When we come back to Psalm 8, we notice it has two movements. We heard about Yahweh's majestic name above the skies and the land, and that's pretty awesome. Yahweh yeah. has a great name. Hmm. The next line is this thing about the babies, hmm. which, to be honest, for years I just kind of <laughs> was like, ah, that's weird. Why are we talking about babies? And, mm-hmm. and it's a weird line. Mm-hmm. It so makes we, me feel good when you say that. Because <laughs> that's how like 90% of the Bible is to me. <laughs> Uh, so let's just so let's just read it. Read it once more. So Yahweh, your name in the sky and the land, you're majestic, you're powerful. From the mouth of nursing babies and little infants, you have founded a stronghold. 
A refuge. A refuge. Yeah, it's probably a parallel word to refuge, Mm -hmm. stronghold. Mm -hmm. So from the mouth of babies, you've established or founded a stronghold because of your enemies to stop the enemy and the avenger. Yeah. What? Yeah, it's clunky. It's clunky. Mm -hmm. It's clunky. But when you parse out all the clunkiness, you get this picture of... Babies crying out, mm-hmm. yeah, and their cries actually become yes. a place yes. of refuge. Yes, and this is all happening because God wants to save them from from the bad guys. The bad guys, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a riddle. <laughs> yeah, who are these babies? Who? Yeah, in other words, this is a little riddle. The first half of Psalm A is a riddle that depends on you having meditated on the surrounding poems mm-hmm. about helpless, mm-hmm. afflicted ones who have no power to save themselves. But when they call out to God, he promises to deliver yeah. and God becomes their refuge. Yeah, that's what I was just wondering. So so could you interpret that as, you just said this, John, but the cries, the yeah. cries of the weak, they go up to God and he establishes a stronghold, yeah. even though it says from the mouth. Yeah, from the mouth. Yeah, yeah. what do babies do with yeah, their mouths? They're crying out for help. <laughs> they cry yeah. out for help. And it's from yeah. that m- yes. crying that yeah. God establishes a stronghold. Yeah. Because God is opposed to oppressive powers in the world. That's what Psalm 2 told me. Hmm. And that's what's being told right here. Now, if it was reflecting on Psalm 2, it would have been like, from the king to come who will, <laughs> yeah. has an yeah. iron rod, yeah, he yeah, will yeah, stop yeah. the enemies and avengers. Correct. Yeah. That's what you would expect. That's what you'd expect. That's right. But then the story of David comes along. Mm. And, and says, that king actually, is actually on the run. The yeah. king that God loves to exalt is actually more like David when he was at his worst yeah. and when he was at his most helpless. Which in a way yeah. could be the same message that that king, the powerful king to come, is also an afflicted king. Yeah. and Or will be. Or, yeah, will be an afflicted yeah. king. Like that, that could be the model of the king to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In other words, if you just read Psalm 2 and finish the book of Psalms, yeah. you're like, all right. I'm looking forward to a rock'em, sock'em, kill yeah. the bad guys kind yeah. of king. Yeah. That's uh, how Psalm 2 kind of feels. Yeah, it does. Totally. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it says, pay homage to the sun. Kiss his feet lest he become angry and stomp your face. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> You're like, whoa. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, make way. Uh, but then the portrait of this king gets filled out through the rest of the book of Psalms. Yeah. And just we're just in the first section, and all of a sudden this is a, a king whose power is in weakness. Yeah. Mm. Just like babies. Okay, that's the f- first part of Psalm 8. Then we come to the, we replay the themes of the first part, but now we're going to do it with Genesis 1 on the brain. Mm-hmm. So again, I look up at your skies, all those powerful things, beautiful shiny lights up there. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. And, and then I look at a m- human. M- splendid. Splendor. <laughs> splendid. Yeah, <don't. laughs> but look, he's like, I, I look up. And yeah. I see the the beauty up there. Yeah. Then I go and look at a human. Yeah. <laughs> and he hasn't bathed in a while. <laughs> <laughs> and why do you pay attention to humans? Yeah. Just, just dirt, stinky. Dirt creatures. Loud. Yeah. And and then fleshy. The, the the poet starts reflecting on the, the phrase in Genesis one, the image of God. Mm. So you made the human a little lesser than Elohim. So and whether that refers to the one God. Whether that refers to the shiny lights yeah. above. Mm-hmm. Elohim mm-hmm. being the Hebrew word for spiritual Spiritual being. beings, correct, yeah. But despite the dirty origins and the puny powerlessness of humans compared to the cosmic powers above, mm-hmm. you crowned the humans with this destiny. 
with yeah. this capability and calling to rule over the works of your hands and over the animals. And he names domesticated animals, the poet does, hmm. but then also animals that are not really under human control, like birds and whatever passes through the seas. Yeah, <laughs> that that seems like a weird... Yeah. Giant squids. Exactly. Totally. Birds of the skies, yeah. fish of the sea, and anything else that's in the sea yeah. under there. We're, yeah. we're not even talk about those yeah. sea creatures. <laughs> yeah, totally. They get a little wild. Yeah. So it's a set of images. It's sort of like... Uh, you know, this is how an animation works. <laughs> We're, we work at an animation studio. <laughs> when you put a sequence of images next to each other and you just start swapping them out, mm -hmm. you start to notice relationships between them, yeah. how they're similar, how they're different. Mm -hmm. So you have the king of Psalm 2, David fleeing, crying out to God and exalted. Mm -hmm. Babies crying out and God building a refuge through their calls for help. You have humans, puny, but yet lifted high to be rulers over creation, then you have David again in Psalms 9 to 14. And just, you start mm -hmm. swapping all those on top of each other and you see a collective portrait emerging yeah. that um, sounds a lot like what Paul the Apostle is talking mm -hmm. about, mm -hmm. about a crucified Messiah who's been raised from the dead to be the ruling power over all enemies, whether human rulers or cosmic rulers. Hmm. In other words, what I'm saying is Paul got there by reading Psalm 8 as a part of a, mm. a larger set of ideas here in the book of Psalms and then also in, in light of other parts of the Hebrew Bible. Being that you get to Jesus' story and you're like, Jesus displayed his power, but in this really backwards way yeah. by allowing himself to be arrested, mm. yes. mocked, mm -hmm. yep. crucified. Yes, heralded as a king by children <laughs> yeah. <In laughs> from Math the mouth Matthew of 21. babes. Yes. Yeah. And so Paul's going, yeah, that's God's MO. Yeah. Like look at yes. Look at Psalm 8, which are really is part of this whole movement of the Psalms of God. Yeah. He lifts up the weak. Yeah. Yeah. And so when God himself comes to display his power, what do you expect it to look like? What is man that you be mindful of him? Son of man that you would take care of him with honor and glory. You crown him and give him dominion over the works of your hands. What is man that you be mindful of him? Son of man that you would take care of him with honor and glory. You crown him and give him dominion over the works of your hands. Would you say when we read Psalm 8 and the other Psalms, but Psalm 8 here, we should be thinking of the story of the king, but also the king as the representative of the people? Mm. So in other mm. words, God helps the king or he, he establishes the king. And he also, if you're afflicted, it's an encouragement to remember mm. that God hears and that he cares mm -hmm. because that, that seems like what comes after Psalm 8. Mm -hmm. This encouragement for the, the other afflicted people. Yeah, I think that's right. And again, that, that's on Paul's brain too, because his point in Ephesians and Corinthians will be just as God mm -hmm. raised up the Messiah, mm -hmm. he will also exalt and raise up those who belong to him. Mm -hmm. Or in the language of Psalm 2, those who take refuge in the persecuted yet exalted Messiah. Mm -hmm. And that's where this gets even more closely connected to this. Yeah. 
reflection on the the role of humanity yes being yeah. so elevated yeah and having lost that and mm-hmm. wanting to reclaim that yeah how is that done yes so humans have the ability and capabilities to master their environment in ways mm-hmm. that can be life-giving and generate flourishing for each other and God's creatures. We also have ways of doing that that are obviously destructive. And the question is, what story is guiding how you know how to use your capabilities and your powers? And, you know, Jesus was raised on this literature, and he thought the perfect, like, royal heralds to usher him in to his was baby battle. enthronement hmm. was baby battle. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul thinks the the most fitting way for a king to uh, be enthroned is first to be crucified and give his life for Mm -hmm. others. Mm -hmm. And then, after that act of self-giving love, to be uh, vindicated and exalted. It's it's like the unique Jewish-Christian redefinition of true power. Yeah. That's that's what Psalm 8's about. Yeah. The Bible, man. So cool. This really does bring some more depth, this idea of Jewish meditation literature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you're reflecting yeah. on Genesis 1, but you're also reflecting on this whole movement of the Psalms. Mm. But then you get to go and see Jesus yeah. reflecting Doing on it, it. and yep. Paul reflecting on it. And then you get yeah. to go back and you get to think about it again. And yeah. Think about mm-hmm. David's story. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah. And yep. then David's story. And this all ties together. And then it, so you have all these themes. But to me, it always feels like it comes back to then this mm. this one theme, which is like God wants to rescue us towards mm. our calling. Mm. And we are weak creatures, Yeah, but that's okay. And God mm. wants to yeah. do something with that. Yeah. Mm. Our powerlessness could be our greatest asset. <laughs> yeah. In the sense that, that if we face it and are honest about it, that we recognize that everything that we have to offer the world anyway isn't from ourselves. It's it's a gift that we received from others and ultimately from mm. from God. Mm. You tagged that when Jesus quotes it. Mm. So Psalm 8 says, from the mouths yes. of yes. babies, you have made a stronghold. Yep. And then Jesus quotes and says, from the mouth of these babies, yeah. you have established praise. Established praise. Correct. Oh, yeah. So okay. Jesus... Yeah misquoted the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> yep. He perfectly quoted the Greek Bible. Mm. The Septuagint. The Septuagint. Yeah, actually even my NIV translation says praise. Okay. So they went with the tra- they went with the Septuagint translation. Okay. Yeah. Oh, in Psalm 8? Yeah, in Psalm 8. In your English. Oh, fast. My English NIV, but it's an older version of the NIV too, so Oh, cuz I was reading out of NIV online okay. and it they, didn't do that. They must have updated must, it. Yeah, I think they probably did. Interesting. Yeah, so a couple centuries before Jesus, Jewish scholars translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek, and when those scholars came to this line, they um, didn't strictly translate. They were puzzled, too, by mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. image of from the mouths of babies you've established. And it's the Hebrew word oz, which means either strength or a strong place, like a fortress. Mm-hmm. And that strange metaphor mm-hmm. that for us, you know, I called it a riddle. Yeah. On, it's on purpose. Mm-hmm. They, the Greek translators smoothed it out by providing a paraphrase mm-hmm. where they interpret the stronghold as being the, the praise, the crying out to God of praise. Now, actually, I think that's actually a legitimate interpretation. Yeah, because crying out feels like praise. Mm-hmm. Or lament. It, it's kind of more of a, what do they call that? A 
not a translation, but a paraphrase. Paraphrase. Uh, it's an interpretation. An interpretation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And English translators do this all the time. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They hit puzzles in the original language and they do their best. Well, you have to whenever you translate one language to another. Yeah. You're always interpreting. Always interpreting. Just sometimes you have to interpret a little more. Mm-hmm. Here's the sticky wicket that <laughs> I'll just raise and then. So Jesus is presenting. He's presented in Matthew's gospel as quoting from this psalm. But the version is, that's in Jesus' mouth is the Greek version, mm. yeah, not the Hebrew version. Mm-hmm. Right. Here's the other thing. Other quotations from the Hebrew Bible in the Gospel of Matthew don't follow the Greek version. They'll follow what seems like Matthew's own translation from the Hebrew. Mm. Mm. So, and the whole question is, did Jesus speak Greek? And people spend their whole careers mm. about the bilingualism and trilingualism of Jesus. But either way, Matthew was satisfied with having the Greek version mm-hmm present what Jesus said. So we know Matthew the knew the Hebrew version of the Bible. Totally. Yeah, you look at his so other he quotations. Could have, he could have put it in Jesus' mouth. Correct. That he's, he... That's right. Yeah. And so this is actually the Jesus and the apostles are flexible when it comes to precise wording for how they quote their Bible. Mm-hmm. They'll sometimes quote, they'll quote from whatever translation best makes the point yeah. from the original and sometimes they'll merge. And sometimes they'll merge different yeah. parts of the Bible together totally. to make some new hybrid mm-hmm. verse. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why when you look at New Testament quotations of the old, it often doesn't match exactly. Yeah. And that's because they had a different standard for quoting and interpreting than we do. It used to bother me, and now I'm, I've come to see that it's really significant because usually it's because they're tracking with details mm-hmm. or ideas mm-hmm. that maybe I... Does it not bother you as know. much anymore because it kind of forces you to meditate? Totally. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's an invitation that the rabbit hole goes deeper. That sounded like, are you able to relax your body and breathe, and that's why it doesn't bother you? (laughs) (laughs) Leading question. Does that bother you? (laughs) No, I actually meant meant because it's an invitation to, as Tim would say, make a cup of tea, take a walk, and think about it. Yeah, yeah. That's it. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. good. All right, soulmate, thank you guys. Yep, good times. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bible Project Podcast. Today's show is produced by Dan Gummel. Our show notes from Lindsay Ponder. And the theme music is from the band Tents. And the music today and the music breaks were by the band Poor Bishop Hooper. Poor Bishop Hooper is actually doing a really cool project where they are adapting every psalm in the Bible into a song. If you enjoyed their work, look them up wherever you stream music. For now, we're going to leave you with Poor Bishop Hooper's Psalmate. What is man that 
to be mindful of him Son of man that you would take care of him With honor and glory you crown him and give him Dominion over the works of your hands What is man that you'd be mindful of him Son of man that you would take care of him With honor and glory you crown him and give him Dominion over the works of your hands. What is man that you be mindful of him? Son of man that you would take care of him. With honor and glory, you crown him and give him dominion over the works of your hands. What is man that you be mindful of him? Son of man that you would take care of him. With honor and glory, you crown him and give him dominion over the works of your hands. Stay